Hello, and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast, produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times of the COVID-19 pandemic, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. Suku Radia, retired CEO of Bankers Trust, joins us on the podcast today. In addition to serving as CEO for Bankers Trust, he's also served on the executive committee and board of the Greater Des Moines Partnership, including time as chair for roughly the last, uh, last what, three decades? Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> Suku, how are you doing today? Very good, thank you. That's good to hear. I'm, I'm glad you're able to, uh, to take some time and, and join us. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to help. I'm not sure that I have any knowledge to impart, but I've been known to impart knowledge without possessing it. <laughs> I, I think we're going to be in store for some some pretty good gems here. So um, obviously we talked about you being retired, but I'm quite sure that you're not just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, what's keeping you busy these days? I serve on three corporate boards and I serve on three community boards, not-for-profit boards. And in those, I also have uh, a role as either a chair or chairing an audit committee or a comp committee or something. So I am still pretty busy. A lot of, a lot of conference calls. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I was going to say, can you even really consider yourself retired? Well, um, we are at our winter home in Palm Springs and Palm Springs is in California. And there is a two hour time zone difference between the morning in Palm Springs. And so when I got on a call this morning, somebody happened to say, so what time is it there? And I said, Oh, it's five 30. And the rebuttal was, are you serious? I said, well, yeah, it is. I mean, it's a time, two hour time zone difference. And they said, well, that is unusual for you to be on a call this early this morning uh, at this hour. And I said, well, this is my fourth day of being on a call at 5.30 this week. And they said, well, at least you had one day off. And I said, no, that, that particular day was at 5 a.m. <laughs> so that's what my days look like. I like it. Well, again, we appreciate you, you taking the time to get up in the morning to, uh, to chat with us. Oh, my pleasure. This is my fourth call this morning. <laughs> and probably not the last. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to, to think back on a second uh, in a second for me on some of your uh, past professional and community-based leadership roles. Um, and if you can, give me some examples of maybe some of the bigger challenges or crises that you faced during those times. Well, you know, um, we've never seen anything like the pandemic, but probably the single biggest challenge and, uh, you know, I was in a leadership role. Um, the first one was shortly after I became, uh, the managing partner at KPMG, where I spent the 25 years of my career was the flood in Des Moines. And the flood was just purely two weeks. It was moving out of downtown, et cetera. It was very, very manageable. It was not long lived. It was short lived, but the really big challenge which was more sustained and one that threatened the existence of the industry I happened to be in started the week after I joined Bankers Trust as the CEO. And that was the great recession. I was recruited to become the CEO and literally three days later, suddenly 
the Great Recession started. It caught everybody by, by surprise because it was truly a financial collapse. And the first thought I had to myself was, I was CFO at Meredith Corporation. I'd been there for nine years. And here I was recruited to Bankers Trust. And I said to myself, well, my timing is really good. <laughs> 72 hours ago, who would have predicted that this thing was going to go into free fall? So that was probably on a long term, and I mean long term, about 18 months. Mm-hmm. That was probably the single largest challenge. And, you know, the economy went into free fall. Uh, the ripple effect of the financial crisis uh, was very, very significant. And of course, as a bank, we were right in the middle of it. Right. Um, and so, you know, uh, if you want, I can perhaps maybe describe it in a little more detail and that might help simply to give you some perspective. Um, and, you know, the first thing was we did not know if we had enough capital. Banking is a very, very heavily regulated industry. And three months before I had joined the bank, the regulators had met with the board and told the board after an examination, this may be one of the best management teams you can find in this region. Uh, the regulator at that time was the OCC or the Office of the Comptroller of Currency. And they told the board that this management team had done a phenomenal job and they were very complimentary. Now, three months later, I'm the CEO and the first thing of course they did was to second guess us. And basically in so many words, it was every management team was useless, incompetent, etc. So you had the regulators breathing down your neck, wondering if you had enough capital, they wanted us to file a capital plan. How are you going to come up with more capital? We were a highly leveraged holding company, etc. So you had the regulators breathing down your neck. You had customers, Uh, a whole bunch of people who had given personal guarantees on their loans and the personal guarantees were about 90% of the net worth of the individual. So I'm an individual. I have, I own a business and I basically come in and borrow money and I give my personal guarantee, never expecting anybody to collect on it but 90% of my net worth is tied into my company and my company is not performing anymore because of a whole host of things that have happened in the economy, the ripple effect of the financial collapse. So the personal guarantees were really no good. Mm-hmm. So you had a loan portfolio that was at risk. You have regulators breathing down your neck and you're also being the CEO and having been there literally, you know, third day it started so you kind of look at everything and, and, and put it in perspective and say, okay, you know, what are the things that I need to do to, to go through this? I don't have any visibility as to how long it'll last, but I do know that having lived through the banking farming crisis in the mid eighties, and I saw the number of banks in Iowa, we had 33 banks fail in the mid eighties in one year. Mm-hmm. And there were bankers who were killed. It was just a disaster. I mean, I was serving the banking industry as a professional. And so I remember 
how much stress there had been in the banking industry. It was confined to banks, which were primarily agricultural lenders. And that was a lot of community banks in Iowa. So I had seen what had happened. Now this particular one was much broader. It was very pronounced. Bankers Trust was not an ag bank. So, you know, you, you kind of look at everything and, and, and say to yourself, all right, this is going to be massive. I don't know when it's going to end. And so, um, how am I going to manage through this? And the first thing I told myself was there were all these, we had a wonderful group of people. And I said to myself, they all have jobs. They're all counting on me to lead them through this. And I am not going to, if I ever get depressed about this or down about it, I'm not going to ever, ever be in front of a group of people and basically feel sorry for all of us together because they were looking to me as a CEO for leadership. So you, you learn to put on your game face. You just, you don't want to make light of the situation. Yes, it is a serious situation, but you don't want to walk into a group uh, or a meeting and say, by the way, I have no idea what we are going to do. Right. We are all going to go down together. You don't say that. You just, you can't say that simply because of the fact that you don't know that's going to happen. Plus you also learn after some years of experience that, uh, you know, there are peaks and valleys in everything. And I said to myself, we will work our way through this. I just don't have the visibility as to how long this will last. So I'm not going to speculate on that, but I said, all right, I'm going to put on my game face, but more importantly, I'm going to make sure that I preserve everybody's employment. There is so much uncertainty on the minds of people. What is going to happen to my job? And banks were laying off people left, right and center. So, we had an all employee meeting. I'm the new guy. So they obviously are all going to attend. They want to hear from me. What am I going to say? Right. So I started out by saying, first and foremost, I said, look, folks, we are all in this together. Um, and I know I borrowed the expression from Winston Churchill. And I said, never, never give up. We are not going to give up. And as long as I'm your CEO, we are not going to have a layoff. Now that was a bold statement to me, mm -hmm. but I got a standing applause because I said, we are not going to have a layoff. And you know, that's exactly what they wanted to hear. They walked out of that room feeling really good about the fact that yes, we were going to be able to make it through this even though we did not know how long it was going to last, but we were not going to put on the table and no, no member of my senior management team was going to walk in and say, I'm not going to make my numbers this year. So therefore I need to lay off 20 people. We were not going to discuss layoffs. I just said, we are going to preserve jobs. That is very, very important. I am not in the business of destroying families or creating any stress in their lives, et cetera, et cetera. So we kind of said, okay, we're not going to have layoffs. Secondly, we also said, you know what? 
if you think about a business that is in trouble and you've loaned money to that business and they're unable to make the loan payment when it's due, are you going to put them out of business? Are you going to go in and take over that business when you don't know a thing about running that business? I said, folks, let's find a way to work with our customers. Instead of putting them out of business, let's make sure that they understand that we are not going to breathe down their necks. We're going to have, you know, many large banks have something called a workout team. So if you've made a loan and the loan is in trouble, the workout team comes in. They basically will hire professional management. Uh, they're a bunch of thugs if, as far as I'm concerned, but they make your life totally miserable. Right. You have no control. You, they, they control your salaries or they say, if you don't work with us, you're out because we're foreclosing. So I said, we are not going to have any workout teams. If you are the loan officer who has the, relationship with the customer. You are going to go talk to your customer. You're going to express to your customer. We will work with you. We know that you've got some stress, but we are not going to take over your business. And we know you will know how to manage it, etc., etc. So we decided to be kind and compassionate. I think that was really important. So when you kind of say to yourself, all right, how do you, how do you, you know, I, I spent some very, very long hours. I mean, I was literally at the bank from 6 a.m. to about 8 p.m. at least six days a week. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I have a very, very understanding wife and our children were still at home at that time. So we had three kids at home, but the fact of the matter was, you know, everybody understood that their dad was going to be gone some long hours. But once I left the bank and got home, I at least had a chance to be with the family and spend some quality time with the family. That was really important. But what I told everybody was, you know, I do not want, I said, I'm, I'm paid to work 80 hours a week. You're not paid to work 80 hours a week. So I want you to get out of here by six at the latest. I don't want to see anybody here by after six, you're going to have your job. And you're going to go home and you're going to be with your, the most important people in your life who count your family members. So in the meanwhile, I said to myself, okay, I know that this too shall pass. I just don't know when, but this too shall pass. You also have to make sure that you don't lose your sense of humor. Um, you know, uh, I'm one of these guys who loves to laugh every minute about, you know, if anybody were to ask me, what do you expect to happen at, at your funeral? I would say, well, I have this edict that there will be a laugh every minute. I hope that people <laughs> laugh because, you know, I just don't want people to get serious. You know, so I always maintain my sense of humor and you also have to be humble. You know, we are in this together just because I'm the CEO does not mean that I am better than you. So I can come in at nine and leave at three. No, I'm going to work long hours, but we are absolutely in this together. But humility is really important. And the other thing is you also have to learn to listen to people. Listening is a very, very important skill. Uh, there's an element of empathy. You know, empathy is a very important word, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have empathy. And, you know, the late Stephen Covey wrote, uh, this book about the seven habits of highly effective people. 
he wrote about responsibility, not responsibility, but responsibility. So how are you going to, what is your ability to respond to the situation? Sure, it's a tough situation, but how are you going to respond to it in a calm, intelligent manner and talk through it? I don't believe there is any problem that's insurmountable. Um, and then I also thought about my own life. When I had come to this country, one year later, my family was evicted from our homeland of Uganda. We had been there four generations. We were of Indian descent, but I considered myself to be Ugandan. My father was born in Uganda. My grandfather was born there. My family lost everything in two hours, absolutely everything. I graduated from college in two and a half years and had $4.87 to my name. So I've, I've been through some adversity. When you're going through adversity, I can tell you it's not a lot of fun. When you recover from that adversity, you look back and say, what did I learn? So I looked at myself and I said, I've been through adversity. So I occasionally would use my own story to explain to people that when you think about hitting rock bottom, this is where I was. And here I am today. So please understand that if I am not, I'm hardly the smartest guy in the world. If I can survive it, anybody can. So I talked about my own story quite a bit just to let them know that, I mean, I was absolutely at the bottom and they were nowhere near that. They had a job. Nobody received a cut in compensation or anything. And, uh, we also talked about communication said, you know, let's make sure that if you have anything that others should find out about, I want to make sure that we put that out in a communication. We were also making sure that we were committed to each other and cared about each other. And every opportunity I got, I'd sit down with people and ask about their family. You know, you have to kind of put things in perspective. So you always try to infuse some, sort of thinking about the family because family is awfully important and you always have to make sure that you act with integrity. That's the most important nine letter word in the English language. And you have to be absolutely transparent. Um, so those were some of the attributes that I focused on simply because I said to myself, you know, this is really a we game. This is not about me. We are in this together. So this is about teamwork and we will come out of this together. Um, and the first year we managed to just barely, barely, uh, keep our capital. So I was not asked to infuse additional capital, but I had to file a capital plan with the regulator. And I realized that the regulator was a nationally based regulator and banks in Florida, Illinois, California, and Georgia, were the three were the four states who were really hit hard. So they regulated us as if we were in one of those states. They wanted, they applied the same principles. And I said to myself, you know what? This is time to change the charter to a state based charter. Our regulator was based in Omaha. So instead I converted to a state charter so I could go talk to the superintendent of banking about five blocks away from me. <laughs> nice. And so we switched charters. We switched charters so I could talk to the division of banking and we had a very good relationship with the division of banking. So I knew that they had a pretty good sense of what, what I was planning on doing. 
and how we were going about execution. And you have to be very calm about this. So we executed extremely well. When we were done um, in the first two years, we wrote off 104 million of loans. That's a lot. Now, if you, if you look back three years later, we had recovered pretty much everything wow. except nice. for one. Wow. So we, we had a very nice recovery. Um, and, uh, you know, I kept my, I kept my optim optimism. One of the things that happened was at the end of the first year, because we had made a little bit of money, nothing substantial. I stood up before everybody and I said, folks, you know, just want you to know that we are weathering this storm pretty well. And I know you can all use bonuses and you're all going to get your full bonus. And they were just in a state of shock. They were expecting me to say, we are all going to take a cut in compensation. And I said, if anybody is not going to get a bonus, it's the CEO. But I said, you are all going to get your bonuses. And I want you to understand that I really appreciate what you've done. You've made some sacrifices. We're not out of this yet, but we are definitely faring better than others. We were growing. We even added people. Uh, and as I said, you have to maintain your sense of humor. You just don't give up. And every single time I got down, I confided in only one or two people. Most of the time it was my wife. It was bedtime talk. I, I needed somebody to talk to and she's wonderful. We've been married now for 45 years. So she understood that, Hey, I needed to talk, but I didn't want to say certain things to people within the bank because of the fact that I just was very optimistic that we would come out of this, but I had my down moments, no question about it. Um, so when we were all told and done, I said to myself, let's continue to move with confidence and let's make sure we don't belittle anyone. I never wanted to insult an employee. And when we were done, um, you know, when I joined the bank, I had a 10 year, 10 year contract. Our earnings had dipped to $11 million on a large size bank, about 1.8 billion in size in the earnings at 11 million were very small. When I left the bank, we had grown over 10 years to 4.6 billion and our earnings were almost 50 million. So, you know, we had, we had added about 20% more or maybe almost 30% more people. Um, but you never, ever, ever wanted to express to people that I have no confidence in the future, et cetera, et cetera. You just kind of went through it very methodically, but you never gave up, you know, uh, very clearly. I just had this feeling we would emerge out of it. And I feel the same way about the pandemic. I know it's difficult. I know that social distancing and everything else that's going on is, is, is scary. We've got people dying, but I also know that sooner or later, hopefully sooner we'll be able to flatten the curve. And we will all move on and, uh, you know, uh, we will look back at a time of this was a very, very big learning opportunity for us. And we are going to continue to face challenges every so many years. Some, something or the other is bound to happen. So, you know, that is a litany of, you know, I, I've talked too much as usual, so I apologize. <laughs> but at least that gives you some sense of what I'm about. No apology necessary. And whether you realize it or not, 
Uh, you gave us so many gems in your story. And for those of you that may be listening that are stepping into leadership roles or aspiring to be leaders, go back and play this episode two, three, four times and share it with people that you know that may have those same aspirations because there is a lot of good knowledge and information in here. Um, and Suku, I just want to say thank you for, for taking the time to to speak with me and share those stories uh, with me. Again, very helpful. And I, I think they'll be a great tool for, for people to use as we do progress through this coronavirus pandemic. So again, uh, stay safe down there in Florida. Hope you don't have too many more 5 a.m. calls. And uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit dsmpartnership.com.